You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Hey, friends, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Really glad that you have pressed play on this episode. We're looking forward to this interview that we had with Steve Cuss. Uh, who has some brilliant insights uh, to bring about family systems theory into the world of Christian leadership. Uh, He's a pastor uh, who also does some of this leadership stuff as well, so he's a lot like us, a lot like uh, the folks who started Gravity Leadership. So uh, he's a kindred spirit, and we're looking forward to that, being able to give you that interview. Uh, I'm doing the intro here uh, all by myself. Uh, My compatriots are uh, otherwise occupied in various pursuits, uh, so it's uh, it's up to me uh, to deliver uh, the the news, uh, the announcements to y'all. Um, so I want to give you those things before we get started with this interview. Friends, there's a lot, you may not be aware of this, but there are a lot of other ways besides listening to this podcast that you can connect with us. Um, there are a growing number of people who are connecting with us and connecting with each other, uh, who are learning to lead like Jesus and live on mission and make disciples. And so it's really exciting. I want to tell you about some of these things. Um, we do workshops. Uh, one of the thing, one of the kinds of workshops we do is Enneagram transformation workshops. It's uh, typically a Friday night and a Saturday uh, where we come in and, and we do some training around this tool called the Enneagram. Uh, we're probably going to do some uh, podcasting about it here in the near future because it is a because it's gotten so popular um it's also gotten some <laughs> some backlash uh and there's some people that uh can tend to look at it a little sideways because of um yeah just it's been overused and misused uh and so but we found it to be a really powerful tool for spiritual formation uh and it, it coheres quite nicely with uh, a lot of our process for leadership development training coaching discipleship etc so we've got a number of those coming up um, that if you're in the area, you can join us at. So we're going to be in the Atlanta area, October 18th and 19th. We're going to be in Philadelphia, November 1st and 2nd. We're going to be in Lexington, Kentucky, November 15th and 16th. And uh, in the new year, in 2020, we're going to be in Indianapolis and Kalamazoo. And I just literally got off the phone three minutes ago with uh, another person that we're uh, beginning to 
talk with uh, to bring another uh, Enneagram workshop. So uh, I'd love it if you guys could find your way to one of those. Um, or even better, if you want to bring an Enneagram transformation workshop or any of our other workshops, we do a workshop about what it means to be the, the church in the post-Christendom. Uh, so it's called Church in the Wild. And we also do a workshop on parenting, actually, uh, and how to bring the insights of discipleship into parenting, how to treat your parenting as a discipleship exercise. That one's called Parenting and Grace and Truth. If you're interested in bringing any of those to your church, to your area, um, do check out the show notes, uh, click on the appropriate link, or just email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. We're starting to book those events for 2020 and would love for you to get on the, our schedule. Um, a couple of other things. Uh, if you haven't uh, gone through our free audio course called Seven Vital Paradigm Shifts for Leading Like Jesus, um, it's essentially the first few episodes of this podcast. So, I mean, one way you could do it is scroll down to the first few episodes of this podcast <laughs> uh, and listen to them. Uh, we, we talk through our seven uh, axioms for uh, leading like Jesus, missional living, uh, they really fu- function as a, a completely new paradigm for what ministry can look like, what life really can look like. Uh, and we talk through those, the first few episodes of this podcast, but um, we've also kind of collected them into um, uh, a, a format where you can get, every few days you get a new one delivered to your email inbox and that kind of a thing. So if you haven't uh, listened to those uh, and you're interested in that, there's a link in the show notes. Just go to gravityleadership.com slash, slash shifts. <laughs> it's hard to say. Gravityleadership.com slash shifts uh, to get that free audio course. And of course, um, another new thing that is um, just fresh in the last month or so is our membership community on Patreon. Um, people for a long time have been asking us, hey, um, you know, coaching is—it's not the right season for me to get into your training, for it to get into your coaching. But um, is there any other way that I can support and partner with the work that you guys are doing? And so, finally, we pulled the trigger on uh, experimenting with uh, a membership community on Patreon. It's at Patreon.com/slash/GravityLeadership, and essentially, essentially, you can sign up there to support and partner with us uh, in our work. Um, there's three different tiers you can sign up for: five dollars a month, fifteen dollars a month, or $30 a month. And there's different things that you get, um, you know, little perks uh, that we put in each of those. But really, most of the people who are doing this are doing this just because they want to support the work that we're doing. They want to partner with us in it. They want a, kind of a stake in the game and are really happy to have those folks. Um, as of this recording, some new uh, folks who've joined us are Rich and Heather Cordero, new supporters on Patreon. Thank you so much for joining us there. If you're interested, uh, again, just check it out at patreon.com slash gravity leadership, and that'll show you all, all you need to know there. Uh, we'd love to, love to have you there. If you have any questions, just email us at pay, uh, podcast at gravity leadership.com. I think that's it, folks, for now. Um, we're going to hear from Steve Cuss here uh, on managing leadership anxiety. Here we go. Okay, hey, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Uh, we are recording today live from the suburbs of Indianapolis, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Although when you're listening, this won't be live. But no, no but rest assured, we are live now. This yeah, yeah. is happening in real time. Yeah, yeah we're recording it live. And uh, we are joined today by a gentleman and a scholar and a pastor and a chaplain and a husband and a dad. Steve. And a dog lover. Yep. And oh. a dog lover. Okay, oh. we, need, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about dogs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of anxiety and leadership, I've got, <laughs> I need your help. Uh, Steve Cuss joins us all the way from Colorado. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. And uh, I'm, I'm very relieved to hear that we're recording live, because recording other ways gets really problematic. Yeah, yeah. We've tried it Recording in the future, uh, all of that, it, it doesn't <laughs> Tape really delayed. work. Yeah. Uh, Steve, will well, you... It just gets expensive, too. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, and we, we're doing this on a shoestring budget. Mm. Uh, right. Steve, you've written a book that, I mean, is coming from the center or the heart of what we do at Gravity Leadership called Managing Leadership Anxiety. And uh, it takes uh, family systems theory and uh, chaos, like 
change theory, neurobiology. <laughs> I thought you were going to say chaotic ideas. Uh, yes, it, it takes all these. It's it's a and it's, it's a theology of anxiety. It's a brilliant book. Uh, before we jump into it, though, would you give our listeners a brief introduction? Uh, who you are, how you spend your time. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yep. Thanks for having me on the show. So, I'm a I'm a West Australian by species. Uh, grew up in Perth <laughs> and uh, grew up completely unchurched. And I came to faith as a teenager. And um, I was in university when I really felt the call to ministry. So I came to the United States to study because I had no theology at all. And in the course of that, I stumbled accidentally into hospital chaplaincy. And it really was, from at least my point of view, quite an accident. I, I just needed a job for a year hmm. to uh, my, my wife and I, well, my fiance and I had just gotten married and I needed work for a year. Um, and, and a lot of the book is based on my lessons that at least started in hospital chaplaincy. And then after that, I went to seminary. I kind of did things in the wrong order. <laughs> uh, and in seminary, I dived as deep as I could into systems theory and another really fascinating theory called cybernetics that I actually haven't seen written about in church leadership. I didn't realize that I was bringing something unique huh. um, when I wrote the book. Uh, but since the book's come out, I've been engaging with a ton of systems theorists, which has been super fun, mm. and none of them have heard of cybernetics. Weird. Yeah, it really blew yeah. me away. So that was, and that was a game changer. Yeah. And then I'm now a, a local church pastor, and I've been using these materials for 20 odd years and then, mm. uh, yeah, wrote about it, uh, released it a few months ago. Yeah. And, and uh, tell us about your church. What um, is it a medium sized, small church, big church? I don't know how to describe our church. So we are we are white suburban middle upper class for sure uh, on the surface, and then I think when you peel back the veneer, we are into um, studying and trying to break the patterns of chronic poverty locally and globally. Hmm. Uh, I think because I'm an Aussie, even just politically, we're we're much different. Uh, people have come and said we're the most politically diverse church they've ever seen. Hmm. So we have people who have actually told me that they're to the right of Rush Limbaugh, hmm. which is impressive. That I mean, that's exhausting. <laughs> Exhausting yeah. and, then, and impressive. Yes, and then I also have people who would go to, on every possible march they could, you yeah, know. To yeah. um, so we have a, a spectrum of people, and then because I grew up unchurched, w we have quite a outreach to intellectual skeptics. That would be mm, okay. our bread and butter, and so we're kind of a combination of reaching intellectual skeptics and then uh, social activism. Yeah, and we we're, we get about a thousand people a week. In the summer, we get about seven hundred a week. Uh -huh. But um, and then five years ago, we we're about two hundred and fifty people. So we've gone on this insane wow. growth. Yeah, that's mostly really because we moved into a building. We were a portable church, and I I don't know. I mean, it's been really fun, and it's been really difficult. So I I don't know if I recommend rapid growth. I'm <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad that rapid part is settled because yeah. we're still we're still catching up. I think we're still catching up. Yeah, with. yeah, yeah. So you don't recommend church growth? No. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's the quote. Yeah, I hate church growth. Yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah, it's well, it's good. been good having you on the podcast, Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's great. Well, uh, yeah, I'm very helpful. I'm very helpful. <laughs> so your your book is uh, it's a great read. In fact, I'm I'm gonna we have a three year coaching and training um, process we put leaders through, and the third year is all about leadership. And uh, the book your book's gonna become a resource in that because mm -hmm. I think you do a great job of taking. What is a deep, deep rabbit hole of family systems theory? Yes, uh, and making and condensing it without uh, making it too simplistic to be helpful. It was yeah. it was really good. But let me ask you this, just to kick us off: How did you become an expert about anxiety? <laughs> oh yeah, I think it's personal survival for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, like trying to make sense of your life and the things yep. that impede and hinder your life. It, it definitely started for me in the intensive care units in the emergency room in this hospital. There's no question. I was 24 years of age. And I'm, I'm just by personality and wiring, uh, you know, I'm an Enneagram 3 with a four wing. Mm. I'm a type A, highly driven, entrepreneurial, uh, arrogant, mm. um, certain mm. leader. So I'm very aggressive. And I, I truly thank God for that chaplaincy experience because it, it didn't remove all of that from me, but it showed me the impact of it. And, and it's certainly when you are a get-it-done, solution-focused leader, grief is the one thing that will teach you how useless that is. Oh, yeah. So I definitely started learning those lessons, you know, walking into rooms of high anxiety. And what, what they do in that program that I was in, a CPE, is they teach you how to notice your own reactivity. 
So can you unpack, attempt, unpack that? What does that mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. So when you walk into a room and somebody is screaming and someone else is headbutting a wall with grief and your next instinct is to do something, it's more to manage your own anxiety than to actually help them. Ah, so you walk in a room, people are uh, freaking out. There's um, uncontrollable emotion and you yep. have this impulse to solve it, fix it, do something. Yep. Yep. And what you're saying is, uh, yeah. Reactivity is this dynamic where you want your your impulse to act has more to do with you than it has to do with them. Yeah, not always. I, I'm always careful to not have blanket statements, but in that case, in that situation, always yes. <laughs> um, because somebody and we, you know, now that we have some life experience under our belt, somebody who has suffered a grief or a death, the last thing they need is words. Or uh, what happens is the leader tries to shrink the situation down to something they can manage. Yeah. That, that's why often a leader will say a prayer or, or quote a scripture, and it just doesn't land. And I'm not saying that you should never pray and you should never quote scripture. Sure. All I'm saying is yeah. before you reach for that impulse, hmm. you can take a beat and ask yourself, is this to make me feel better or yes. is this actually to serve the person? Good. Yeah, that's really helpful. So managing, that, that's what you mean by managing your own... Uh, reactivity is instead of just trusting that impulse, I got to do something, you notice it and you're able to kind of look at it at least and, yeah. and measure it a little bit and say, well, it, yeah, what am, why would I do this? Why would I step in to do this? Yeah. And then, um, and then the deeper level is, yeah, what's driving me? So, you know, when I first started right. walking into these rooms, I didn't know at the time that I'm being driven by a need to look impressive. Um, mm. And my need to look impressive for me would be connected to the fact that as a kid and as a teenager, I always felt stupid. I just, I just had decided that I'm the stupid kid. Mm-hmm. And so anytime I don't know what to do in front of people, I feel exposed. That makes me anxious. And then I act. Mm. Now, all those moves took several months and a lot of <laughs> thought. But yeah. any leader or you know, any faith leader can just begin to start to figure out, and this would be interesting to hear from you guys, like uh, in any given situation, what is it that I think I need that I don't actually need? Yes. Right. It'd be interesting to hear from what you guys think, you know, if, if you can identify something. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean you said you're a dog lover. Yeah. Uh, I, just got yeah. A, I just got a new dog. Uh, oh. and a new puppy. And we we actually had been resisting it for m- uh, months, but mm. like almost years. With our, <laughs> We have a 10 and a 7-year-old, and they yeah. really wanted a dog. And, and It didn't help that we got a dog two years ago. <laughs> Thanks a lot, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we yeah. finally, my wife and I finally broke down and got this dog, and I had a few conditions, and most of those conditions had to do with me being uh, as bothered as little by this dog as possible. But my <laughs> 10-year-old, who's taking most responsibility for the dog, is at camp this week. He's way at a week at camp. And so I get up early in the morning, and I'm noticing, Steve, that I love my autonomy mm. in the morning. That's I just, good. I love it. And this dog compromises every single bit of my autonomy. Yeah. Uh, so he, I got to let her right out of the cage. She's nine weeks old. She goes outside. She poops. I'm sitting on the back patio. I don't like some people wake up out of bed and they're like cr- doing working through their to do list. Like they've made the bed, started laundry, started coffee in like the first ten minutes of getting up. I like go and sit on a couch, and I need like ninety minutes of just like who am I again? What's my <laughs> life about? I got my brain takes so long to wake up. Well, this dog is like this morning even uh, was pooping. Uh, which is great. Dogs poop, and then when they yeah, poop that's outside, good. that's what they're supposed to do. Right. Nope. Uh, so far, so good. But th- <laughs> there's uh, there's dew all over the grass, and my dog poops, and then she begins to eat it. <laughs> so, so now, so now I, I'm taking off my socks and I'm sprinting across the backyard to go grab this dog, who's eating her poop, and I pull her back up on the patio, and I go try to grab a bag to go clean the poop up, but she begins to chew on my socks with her, you know, poop teeth. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm like prying poop socks out of her mouth. I put her in timeout in the bathroom. She chews through the toilet paper. You know, she's biting my leg. She's eating the wood. In the, and it's like not even 6 a.m. yet, and I'm like <laughs> completely stressed out of my mind. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, and it's it's mostly because I have decided that my happiness, my joy, my peace, my contentment, mm-hmm. the good life, this dog interferes with everything I've told myself right. I need for that. Yeah, You need autonomy, and because you're not getting it, 
it's causing this anxiety, this stress. Look, yeah, yeah. I'm, I got a lot of responsibilities, Ben. Uh huh. Yeah, right. I'm a, I'm a very important person. No, right? just yeah. as a dad and a husband and <laughs> no, a pastor, yeah. right, Steve? Can I get a witness? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and there's I have to do what other people want mm. all day. Yeah. But this time, this precious time, this little time that fits on my ring finger, and I put it on and take it off whenever yeah. I want. Yeah. Like this time is mine. Yeah. And yeah. you, dog, yeah. are taking my time. Yeah. So I don't know, Steve. Yeah. That I mean, is that what you're talking about? That's that kind of relationship to something that creates anxiety, anger, stress. Yeah, I think that's exactly the example because. As I'm listening to it, you know, there's nothing wrong with needing autonomy and 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 some solitude, but it's the um, what happens is anxiety uh, makes us a bit more rigid than we really are. Yes, huh. and it's that kind of um, have to have it to be okay piece of it that makes it um, where it has a grip on you. So, like the need for solitude. Uh, also, the other thing that came to mind, Matt, is you know when Paul said we're a slave to all. In your mind, you're like, yeah, but not a dog. Nope. Like I'll be a slave to humans, <laughs> but I'm not going to be a slave to a stupid canine. Right. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, uh, Paul said, "Watch out for the dogs." You know. <laughs> and I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get away from that. This one's trying to get me. Well, this dog yeah. is mutilating my flesh. It keeps biting me. She you keeps biting. Mutilating this is socks. in the Bible. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. Well, uh, so yeah. I think it is interesting. We can all start looking at what what is it that I need? It's okay to need it, but when I have to have it to be okay, it it now has a grip on me instead of me having a grip on it. Because in reality, I, I can't speak for you, Matt, but you'll probably do okay four days a week with mm-hmm. autonomy. Mm-hmm. But we do start to believe these lies. And, and anxiety is definitely generated by um, what we think we must have in any situation. So for me, yeah. the need to always have the answer. Yeah. Um, the need to have the final word or to always be right. Yeah. These are terrible needs. And then what gets really interesting where anxiety gets chronic is what you do after that when you don't get what you need. So in my case, mm. if I'm misunderstood, my solution is to talk more because I believe mm-hmm. the lie that more words from me will help them understand. And then you get really anxious. Steve, do you, when, when that happens, do you ever point to your mouth just so people understand that there's important things happening there? <laughs> Sometimes I do that as a joke with Ben. I'll just point to my mouth yeah. when I'm feeling when I'm feeling reactive and triggered. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. a way to sort listen, of listen to me. diffuse yeah. the situation. Anyway. Yeah. No, that's... Uh, that. Uh, I, I love what you're talking about, Steve, because that it very much is the way that we train leaders is to begin to notice those things. And so, I mean, you asked for examples, and I there's another one for me that I've just recently become, I guess, I think a little bit more aware of. You mentioned being an Enneagram 3. We talk about the Enneagram a lot on this podcast, so if that alienates you, I apologize. But I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram 1. Send your messages one. to Steve at... Steve at Gravity Leadership. Now we go. Um, but... Uh, so I'm an Enneagram One, and um, one of the things I've been noticing is that when some what the cause of anxiety for me is when someone says something that is sort of a little bit. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, if somebody says something that kind of comes out of their flesh, if somebody says something that comes from a like a bad place. Uh, I've noticed that part of my anxiety is like I feel like it's my responsibility to let them know that that's not right. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, there was a couple instances that happened to me recently where I, I realized somebody, I never said anything. I noticed I was a- feeling anxious when this, when somebody said something to me like this. I never said anything. But a, f- a few days later, they said something that indicated to me that they actually knew that it wasn't right. They actually knew that and they were aware of it. And uh, there was this like, like a freedom that came over me where I was like, Oh, mm. like maybe it's not, maybe that's not my job yeah. in most situations. Um, maybe people think, maybe people can figure things out on their own. But I just, I started noticing that, that that's actually a cause of anxiety for me is if I hear somebody verbalize something that's like, oh shoot, like that's going to lead you down a bad path or that's not going to be a good way for you to go. I feel this impulse to act, to speak, to correct, yeah. to, yeah. you know, like, ah, let me get you on the right path here. Oh, it's an that's an amazing example, Ben. Like, mm. what it makes me think of is um, uh, Jesus in Luke twenty four with the road to Emmaus with Cleopas and his companion. Mm. Uh, a lot of systems theorists, even non faith based systems theorists, would point to Jesus as the most differentiated human ever. Yep. Yeah, and differentiation is a family systems term. But all different for our listeners, all differentiation is 
is the ability to be non-anxious in the face of anxiety, mm. to let to the ability and the capacity to not let someone else's anxiety infect yours and not let yours infect theirs. That would be it. That's good. In a nutshell. So, for instance, if somebody says, uh, "I have the power to kill you or set you free," you just say, "You don't really have any power." That would be like a non-anxious <laughs> response. Yeah, yeah. The the most obvious example in the Bible is is Matthew says uh, Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem was troubled with him. And of course they are because their well-being is wrapped up in his whim. But that's mm. uh, that's a non-differentiation. But Jesus mm. is walking along with um, Cleopas. And what's fascinating to me is they're anxious and he is what they're anxious about. And if I was him, I would have a tendency to do what I think I heard you say, Ben, which is to relieve them of their anxiety. Yes. I would be like, hey, guys, guys, it's 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 Jesus. I'm here. Yeah. yeah it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. His ability to let them remain anxious for probably hours. Mm. Uh, they, in, in my opinion, they had a, a deeper spiritual experience by him not r- shortcutting their anxiety Yeah. than him rushing in to relieve it. And I do think a lot of leaders, we feel this compulsion that our helpfulness is sometimes shortcutting what God has for somebody. Come yeah. On. Say more about that, Steve, because I I can hear an objection in, uh, in some people's minds to say, it, like, isn't that being helpful, though? If somebody's feeling anxious, isn't my job as a pastor, as a leader, to relieve them? Like, why isn't that sort of cruel to let them suffer in anxiety? So, say, like, say, mm. say more about that. Like, why? how is that helpful to, to let people stay? In their anxiety, I think a leader has to get really clear for our own soul health. Actually, when is God calling me to carry a burden, hmm. and when is God calling me to walk alongside someone, and they're not the same thing? Hmm. And most faith leaders, we rush in. We we are uh, we will build a hill so we can go die on it for something. <laughs> it really is. Right? That's great. There's this kind of sickness in us. Yeah, yeah. That we, and, and I think you identified it, Ben, when you, like, when I first heard you talking about correcting someone, I thought you were coming from a top-down place, but you're actually communicating, I'm genuinely trying to be helpful to this person. Yeah, I'm not trying to control their life. I'm just like, oh, wait, wait, this is, there's a better way to see this. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but therapists, you know, the most effective therapists do very, very little teaching and pushing on people. Yeah. That the most skilled therapists have this incredible ability. And I, I happen to know because I'm married to one. My wife's a therapist. <laughs> okay. And their ability to help you self learn is phenomenal. So I'm not saying, again, broad brush statements. I've always right. said a million times broad brush statements are always <laughs> wrong. No, yeah. but I think we have to be careful with broad brush statements. So yes, there is occasionally a time where stepping in and being helpful, relieving. Yeah. I, I'm more interested in the uh, the lemming approach that leaders have, the moth to a flame approach. Mm. Somebody is in need; it's like a moth to a flame. Yeah. I am the solution. Yeah, yeah. Uh, God, God has um, seven thousand prophets who haven't knelt to Baal in First Kings eighteen. When yeah. Elijah feels like he's the only one, right? And God's saying, "Oh, I've got this whole other group of people." that are, you know, can do this thing. Yeah. I do think yeah. uh, one of the things that anxiety does for people is it makes us believe the lie that it's all on us. It's mm-hmm. all on me. Mm-hmm. And it's not. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that, that's great because I think that's the key. Like part of what I'm learning is there's, there's no way for me to discern when to carry a burden, when to walk alongside, unless I deal with that anxiety. So for yes. me, it's not like, oh, it's always wrong for me to step in and correct or to That's step right. in and speak. It's not always wrong, but unless I deal with the fact that like, I feel anxiety like I'm supposed to or I need to or it's all up to me, until I deal with that, I'm not going to actually know what's up to me, Yeah, you know, yeah. like what my, where my real responsibilities lie. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, it's the unexamined, it's the assumed yes. part that gets us in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you talk in your book, Steve, a little bit, and I'd love to hear you kind of unpack this for us, about how self-awareness is sort of the bedrock, crucial, first, yeah. if, we, if we are not self-aware and able to engage with these things, we're kind of, it's over before it starts, but how inadequate self-awareness is. Yes, that's right. So will you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Yes, I think self-awareness is massively over overrated. Uh, huh. Um, because 
and I think the, what I'm saying is self-awareness is the, is the beginning of a very long journey, mm. but I know so many people who are self-aware and they have not changed at all. So they, they almost, and let's take the Enneagram. The Enneagram I think is a wonderful tool. I, I've greatly benefited from it. My problem isn't with the Enneagram. It's with any tool where it's a powerful tool in the hands of people who haven't had much experience with it. Yeah. A lot of people are hiding behind the Enneagram mm. to not transform, to not be transformed. Ironically. Yeah. And, and the way you can hear it is they'll say, well, here's how it is. And there's nothing like, yeah. here's just how I am. Yeah. Uh, or the, I think the most extreme version of self-awareness is someone who says, well, this is just the way I am and you have to deal with it. Yeah. And I always hear that and I think, you arrogant bastard. Like, I really don't <laughs> have to deal with it. Yeah. You know, right, like, right. I don't have to put up with your crap anymore. And yeah. why don't you go to the next step and actually give that thing to God and see what God yeah. has to do? So, yeah, in the book, I have a whole thing. That's and that's where I wrote that theology of anxiety about the power of dying to self. And I think that that's where self-awareness the next step is now death. Yeah. Right. It's not self-awareness and then you cling to it as, as though it is uh, Justification. Something, something to be grasped, yeah. if you will. Yeah. yeah or like, like this, is what I, this is what I need now, you know, to be happy. Um, but that right. you, 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 you become aware of it so that you can more clearly let it go. Well, I, I see yeah, what I need to let go of now. Yeah. And I think Matt's example of autonomy is a great example because I think it is important for people to know what they need. And it's equally important sure. to realize I don't actually need it as much as I think. Like my schedule right now is fairly packed and I also need a lot of downtime. In fact, the longer I'm a lead pastor, the more downtime I need. But I still want it more than I actually need it. Hmm. You know, like I'm still always, I'm looking for more downtime than I, my body actually needs. And it's, it's more, there's a fine line between what do I need and what am I avoiding? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so this is part of uh, discernment here. And that, that's one of the things I'm, I'm curious about. As, as I read the book, Steve, how does, let's say one is self-aware and one wants to be, um, become self-aware not to justify uh, self, but to die to self. And then, yeah. and then to walk out sort of a good news or a gospel way of living in relationship to that anxiety, right? In relationship to the lie. You talk about the stories or scripts we believe. How does somebody do that by themselves? Yeah, like, it's, it is a long journey, and I don't think we do it alone. I do think we do it in community. So my book was written out of a seminar that I've been teaching for eight years now, mm. and it's an eight-month seminar. We, oh. we meet every other Tuesday for two hours for eight months. So it's, oh, wow. it's a long journey. Yeah. And so in the book, you know, I talk about genograms and verbatims, and mm. part of that long journey is if you have – we have like 15 students at a time – we put them in groups of five. That means for every time we meet, one person's going to present a genogram. That's five sessions. Hmm. So we have this long, slow community journey of transformation. Mm -hmm. And one of my greatest fears in writing the book is that people would read a book and then be done. Mm. But the weakness of a book is it internalizes. But this material, and I would say the same about a, a powerful tool like an Enneagram, mm. this material only works when you externalize. Yes. You need to sit down with a group of people you trust and feel safe with, and you need yeah. to say, oh, the guy wrote about a double bind. Let, can we talk about what a double bind is? And here's one I think I was in. And then you actually start to yes. take it in. So I do think that's essential. Um, huh. But but yeah, the next step, once you've started to identify, I think you can simply, um, you know, I say in the book, you first start physiologically. If, if you can start to detect where anxiety begins in your body, mm -hmm. and it's always a spinning mind, a racing heart, or a tightening gut. Those are the three places anxiety first shows up. So that is step one. So what would it be for you guys? If, if anxiety always begins in a spinning mind, a racing heart, or a tightening gut, where yeah. would it start for you guys? Tightening it, gut. Yeah? Yeah. That's where it starts for me. Uh, mine's, a, mine's a spinning mind and, yeah. uh, and a clenched jaw. I feel it in my jaw. Yeah. Like, okay. Like a, I clench my teeth. Mm-hmm. For myself, just yeah. yeah, yeah. So most people don't know they're anxious until they're way far down the anxiety trail. Mm -hmm. And uh, anxiety is a spiritual force. It it actually gets a hold of you and takes over. Mm. Yes, you know, like mm. uh, and so we think anxiety is something we have, but actually anxiety is something that has us. 
Yeah. And so this yeah. whole book is simply the flipping of the power dynamic. And that's why I called it managing it. Cause we, the whole journey is going from being managed by it to managing it. Yeah. I do have to give a quick disclaimer cause there's always people who say, well, I'm not, I'm not someone who worries much and I'm not afraid. So I'm uh, not anxious. Yeah. Right. But in systems theory, anxiety is any number of responses. So the need to have the last word yes. is always an anxious response. Um, mansplaining yeah. is always an anxious response. <laughs> I just did a seminar. I just did a seminar, uh, a room full of men, one woman. And there were two guys in the room who'd never heard of mansplaining. It was such a fun moment. And I asked Liz, <laughs> I said, would you tell us what mansplaining is? And she told us, and then I told them what it really was. This is a big <laughs> This is a joke. It just says, yeah. That's yeah, true. and I interrupted Liz and I said, "Now, what Liz actually means is, and you know, of course, that's mansplaining. Yeah, yeah, right. that's always an anxious response. Sometimes, um, not all the time, but sometimes, laying on a couch and binging Netflix is actually an yes. anxious response. Yeah, just numbing out. Um, so I, I fear I've lost the question at this point where we we're going with this. Well, well I, you start physiologically, and yeah, yeah, yeah you start how, physiologically and, and notice things from there. How you notice it? Yeah, and then. Um, can we can we back up though and just define like like how are you using the word anxiety? It's doing a lot of work in your in your book, and I think it I think you just referenced uh, the fact that a lot of people don't I don't worry about things I'm easygoing so I don't have yeah. anxiety right yeah but you're talking yeah. about anxiety as a as a larger or deeper category than that so mm-hmm. could you yes. explicate that a bit yeah yeah so anxiety is any, any reaction that happens next after you don't get what you think you need that you don't really need. <laughs> so, yeah. so Matt, I'll, I'll pick on you with, if, with your permission. Yeah. You need autonomy. And that's true. But what the lie is that you possibly believe, I can't say you believe this, but I'll suggest it and see what you think. The lie is I always need autonomy every time I'm reaching for it. Yes. How does, how does that sound? Yeah. yeah. So this, this puppy shows up and you you have you one of the ways you can know what triggers anxiety is when you have a, a, a reaction that doesn't fit the problem. Mm-hmm. And again, Matt, I'm pushing ground here on you, so push back on me. But it's very natural, as you stated, for a puppy to need to go outside in the morning and poop, and then you have to go deal with it. But your reaction to that outsized the crime of the dog, right? right? You may have even fantasized, especially since anxiety is a spinning mind for you. You may have fantasized harming your animal. Well, let's just let's just uh, <laughs> hypothetically say that yes, that's happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's one of the ways you can know. So, uh, you know, what I write about in the book is is there are eighteen sources of anxiety that are universal to us all, oh, okay. and then we all, on top of those eighteen, we all have unique sources of anxiety. So in, in Matt's case, he, he, one of his unique is this need to be autonomous. Mm-hmm. Ben, in your case, one of your unique is the need to correct people, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then something that's universal is if, if, um, if you have values and someone violates your values and they're almost always unspoken, yep. your, your reaction to it, the amount of heat you have or frustration, that'll give you a clue. In my case, Mm. I highly value being prompt. Mm. Um, I I had a meeting yesterday at 8.30 a.m. It turned out it was really at 9, and I was wrong, and I texted the person I was meeting with, and I said to them, I'm running two minutes late. (laughs) And that's because I highly value promptness. Yes. Um, now she texted back. She's like, actually, you shouldn't have even left the house yet because we're not meeting for another half an hour. It's quite (laughs) funny. But when somebody is late... And they don't call ahead to me, or they keep us all waiting. I get unusually upset. Yeah, yeah. So that'd be another clue you could look at. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So we all have these sources of anxiety, whether or not you know we self-identify as an anxious person or somebody who worries a lot. Um, and yeah, I think the part of the key is what you're what you're talking about there. Part of the self-awareness is you recognizing, in your case, Steve, like. Oh, when somebody's late, I get agitated about it. I think an unreflective response would be, "Oh, well, they should stop being late. They should stop being That's idiots." Right. You know what I mean? They're like, the problem. Yeah, right. yeah. If the world would just, if everybody would just be on time, comport to my values. Yeah, yes. Uh, where you know, and maybe that is an important value, and maybe you do need to work through some conflict. But the first yes. step is always noticing. Oh, lateness causes anxiety for me. Yeah, it ra- yes. it raises up in me, and this is you know 
this is because of a conflict with my values of promptness. It's a, it's a great example because, yes, you actually might have to talk to the chronically late person and right. the impact. Yeah, especially if you're their uh, boss and it's yep. affecting the team. And yeah, sure. Yeah. But it's so it's not about lowering your values. It's about the overreaction. Yeah. You know, in, Le- in Leviticus, it's an eye for an eye, but I want to take their head off. That yeah. Kind of thing. Right. Sure. Yeah. Right. So then, so then anxiety is uh, my, re- my response to anything that doesn't obey my will be done, my kingdom come. So, yeah. That's a great way to put it. Any, so when I don't get what I want, how do I respond to that? Yeah. Am I reacting to that or, or am I actually able to reflectively respond to that? Yeah. Um, and I, I think an important part of this that I'm, hearing, that I'm hearing you say, Steve, is, again, the book is Managing Leadership Anxiety, not Getting Rid of It. <laughs> That's right? right. We'll always so, have it. That's right. right. You're always going to have it. So when I don't get what I want, uh, I think sometimes we feel defeated before we even start because we're like, yeah. oh, I, I'm doing it again. You know, I'm frustrated yeah. again. Or like yeah. when it's like, I think there has to be this the sense of like, that's okay. Like that's normal. Yeah. You're always going to experience anxiety when somebody violates your values or when you don't get what you want. Like the key is is pausing long enough to recognize, oh, this is happening. What do I do with this? Yeah. 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 A couple of, a couple of important points because some people are also going to be listening to this because I've gotten this pushback a lot. And they say, well, there must be times where anxiety is okay. Hmm. It, we're using one word that people have different definitions of. <laughs> In family systems theory, there's acute anxiety and chronic anxiety. Okay. And we're only talking about chronic anxiety. Acute anxiety is when there is an actual threat and you actually are in danger, like your kids running out on the street. Right. If your child is playing on the street, that's not the time to pause and say, what do I think I need that I don't really <laughs> yeah, need? Yeah, right, right. So right. we're only talking about perceived needs and that's how cool. they get a hold of us. And, and what they do is they then pull us into a life of bad news. But <laughs> if we can pause, as you guys are saying, and die to them, we can actually live more and truly in the resurrection power of Jesus. Yes. Yeah. And so... Uh, one of the prayers I pray all the time is Jesus died, so I don't need this, whatever it is, anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I don't need every sermon to be a gold standard sermon anymore. Yeah. Right. Whereas right. I used to have to have it. Anytime I didn't think the sermon was amazing, I'd be so anxious. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you've mentioned really family good. systems theory uh, a couple times, and there's, I know there's some of us listening who, who aren't familiar with this. But uh, we've been talking primarily about personal anxiety, mm-hmm. and family yeah. systems theory talks about personal anxiety, but it also helps us understand how anxiety lives in groups of people yes, or relationships yes, yes. of people. Could you talk about that for a bit and let us know what yes. family system therapy is? Yes, I could talk about this for hours. I just think <laughs> I, I think this is the the heart and soul of what is what can help a leader stay healthy and what can help a team stay healthy. I'm, I'm so glad you asked. So, yeah, first of all. Anxiety is always contagious in a group. So people catch it the way you catch a cold. Hmm. And when you start to notice it, you'll, you can see it spread. Hmm. And that's what I learned in chaplaincy. I could walk into a room and there's somebody in the hospital bed and there's a, a family members around them and you can watch it. Hmm. And then what happens is because it's contagious, if someone's anxious, they spill their anxiety onto you. You then get anxious and you react and it becomes like a water wheel. Yeah. Now, without a non-anxious leader, without a differentiated leader, the most anxious person in the room always has the most power. Yep. And Hmm. especially in a church, because in a church, we think loving your neighbor, which we call empathy, we we don't realize it's actually codependency. Yes. And so what happens is whoever's the most angry, needy, chronically needy, like, like if a life group or a small group leader is listening and they're saying, holy smokes, like it's always Jim. <laughs> He's always the first to talk. He always hogs the conversation. And then we all give all our attention to Jim and I'm ignoring right. Jane or whatever. Because it feels loving because Jim seems so needy. It Jim's seems like indeed. the obvious thing to do is to help him and listen to him and encourage him to talk more. Yeah. Yeah, and so Family Systems Theory has a side of the gospel that I think we don't explore nearly enough as leaders, which is the gospel, like in the Old Testament, uh, sin and sickness, they believed, always infected holy and healthy people. So lepers had to stay away, and we had to stay away from so-called sinners. Jesus comes along, and he blows that whole system up, and he says, actually, no, I can touch a leper, and my health infects his ill health, he gets better. 
and I can hang out with sinners, they get closer to God. Uh, you know, uh, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Family systems theory has that same, even though it's not a Christian theology, it has that same idea where a healthy leader can come into a sick system and slowly infect it with health. And the, the first step is the most difficult step. A, a leader has to learn how to pay attention to process more than content or the same as content. So what you do at your next meeting is you pay as much attention to the way people are relating as you are to what's being said. Yes. Because the theory is that we listen to content, what's being said, but we subconsciously react to process. Yes. So, so even now, you guys, I bet, like pick, pick a meeting. You already could tell me who's the first person who always speaks, mm-hmm. uh, who never speaks up unless they're called on. And then uh, my favorite question with Eddie Group when I coach is, um, who always has the meeting after the meeting? <laughs> and, oh my gosh, yes. Right, yes. And, and you guys where, already where, have where they say, Yeah, what they didn't say in the meeting, you know, for very specific reasons. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah they're indirect communicators yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so if a leader can start to notice process, because here's the thing, we already notice process. Family system series just helping us learn how to have a conversation about it in a non-threatening way. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I I it's read really uh, Edwin Friedman's A Failure of Nerve 10 years ago. Yeah. Yep. And that book changed my life. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. in my top 5 books ever in terms mm-hmm. of impact on my life because I was able to look at my family of origin mm-hmm. and I was I was able to take the labels that we labeled our behaviors and our relationships and say, "Wait, that's not love." Mhm. That's not compassion. There's a different label that fits this better. Yeah. And oh, that changes everything. Yeah. That changes yeah. the way that I relate yeah. to people. Um, and it, it set me free. And your book, I think, takes, I mean, Friedman's Failure of Nervous, uh, brilliant book, but it's still, I don't know, pretty high shelf, like like reading. It can yeah. be, can be difficult. Yeah. And what, yeah. Steve, what I loved about your book is you, you really make this deep mm. uh, content, this really profound content accessible without, without making it too simplistic. Yeah. And it's funny. The book is funny. Yeah, man. It's good. It's, it's, a, it's like a... <laughs> I don't, there's something to that. I mean, you, you talk about in the book, like one of the tools to... Or one of the, one of the ways to uh, evaluate how high the anxiety level is in a system is whether or not people can have fun. What, like the, measure the yeah. playfulness, right? Yes, like can people right. have fun? Can they play together? And if not, there's usually a very high level of anxiety. And one of the tools you talk about is to introduce playfulness, to introduce yeah. absurdity. Um, yeah. and that can be a really helpful, uh, a really helpful thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I should just, I should credit Friedman. A couple of things is I took that idea of playfulness directly from Friedman. Mm. That is a Friedman concept. Yeah. And then absurdity is from a different, um, spin of, uh, family systems here called cybernetics. But oh, I, okay. uh, my, the guy that ran all the chaplains at the hospital I worked at studied with Friedman oh, under wow. the founder of Murray Bowen. So he gave us we, we kind of made fun of him at the time. I'm grateful for him now, but he had one radio station and it was Radio K Friedman and K Bowen. He just, because <laughs> he was Bowen's actual disciple and oh, Friedman wow. and he would have lunch together. Yeah. Friedman, Friedman is a genius. Um, yeah. And I would say, Matt, the best book he ever wrote is Friedman's Fables. Yeah. And it's the least known of his books. I love that book. The first fable in that book about the person yeah. who ties a rope around themselves and jumps off a bridge. Yeah. I, I, it's amazing. Mm. Yes. You're right. Freeman's Fables is an amazing book. Mm. It if, brings out all his playfulness and, and it, it brings out all his genius without, because I, I feel like Failure of Nerve needed four more edits. He, yes. he is so wordy. Um, generations to generations quote, needs four more edits. Yeah. Yeah. So dense. Yeah. He, yeah. He's a genius, but, um, and I think just because I'm a preacher and I'm a nerd, mm-hmm. I just had years of how do I take deep, academic concepts that I love and how do I actually mm-hmm. audibly mm-hmm. in a sermon help people con- yes. and that was my goal in the in this book is yeah. how do I take a deep concept and make it to where it's so accessible 
Yeah. Well, yeah. it was it's it's fantastic. Yeah. Hey, um, I just say that what you're what you're describing the process you're describing in your book is the process we train leaders in, and we uh, we use some of the same language, have many of the same influences. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uncanny, Steve. Yeah. Even you yeah. talk about bad news, like that. We talk about that all the time. We like help the lie we believe about we help ourselves. Leaders name yeah. those things, and then yeah. and then great. here actually the good news. So you describe one piece of good news. Jesus died for me, so I don't need blank anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And we we uh we have. A, a way of of hearing good news, hearing the gospel that Jesus is Lord and His Lordship looks like this in this yeah, discreet this discreet area, right? Yeah. Because um, Jesus's Lordship comes to us not as a not as a proposition as much as like an invitation to lunch or um, yeah. right or yeah or a take up your mat and walk. Yeah. So there's there's these there's these discreet invitations. Anyway, I, I'm deeply encouraged. How if if our listeners want to connect more with you, how would they do that? What would they where would they go to do that? Yeah. So I have a website, stevecusswords.com. All my stuff is on that website. I'm on Twitter. Um, and I, I mostly use Twitter for this material. And then I'm on Facebook and Instagram, but that's kind of a mix of personal okay. and, and work. And then, yeah, my book is wherever you buy books. And yeah. I host a podcast and I have guests on yeah. and we have these conversations. Podcast, same name as the book. Yeah. Right. And then I do some coaching and stuff for people who uh, either one-on-one or with teams. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, we'll put it's some really links great. on the show notes to that stuff. For sure. And uh, thanks for coming on, Steve. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for this book. It's a gift to the church. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really glad. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Yep. Yeah. It's good to, good to meet you, Steve. And uh, have a good rest of your day. Yeah, you guys too. Peace. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.